To support the Historian's Podcast, click on the GoFundMe link on our homepage, bobcudmore.com. Hi, this is Dana Cudmore of Cobaskill. I'm the author of a new book from Black Dome Press out of Catskill. The book is called Underground Empires, and it is two centuries of exploration, adventure, and enterprise in New York State's cave country. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. My guest is Dana Cudmore, believe it or not. He is not a relative. Uh, Dana Cudmore is a writer, a media professional, an authority on caves, and a resident of Cobleskill, New York. And by the way, if you're keeping track, we did a podcast about caves in West Virginia and the late caver Pete Hauer with Mohawk Valley cave enthusiast named Roland Vineyard. But that was then, and uh, this is now. And as uh, Dana noted, Dana Cudmore has a new book out, Underground Empires, Two Centuries of Exploration, Adventure, and Enterprise in New York's Cave Country. Where is Cave Country, Dana? Primarily, it is Schoharie County and Albany County. Uh, and in each county, there are about 150 caves. Owl Caverns is a very popular attraction still and has been since 1842. And Secret Caverns is uh, just up the road from, from there. They've been open since 1929. How is it that some places get a lot of caves and some places don't? Do you cover that at all in your book or have looked into that subject? Do I'm uh, no geologist, but it has to do with the, the earth beneath us. And uh, in uh, New York's cave country, it is a, a good solid limestone which is easily eroded by water. And if you, you follow this belt of limestone, uh, it arcs down through Pennsylvania, the Virginias, starts to turn west through Kentucky and Tennessee, and uh, goes just about all the way to the coast. And I don't want to get into a competition with other places, but it, as you say, there are a couple of commercial uh, caverns that are operated in upstate New York. How do we stack up in New York uh, in caving or our other states, you know, far and away with bigger caves and so on and so forth? Well, that, that of course, is a matter of opinion. But generally speaking, the caves uh, elsewhere are uh, much larger and uh, uh, more decorated. And I guess, again, beauty is uh, uh, in the eye of the beholder. But uh, uh, there are some very pretty New York caves, and how Caverns is you know, top of my list. How did you get involved in caving? Working at How Caverns. I had never been in a cave until I started working there in uh, 1972. I gave four tours a day <laughs> all through my teenage years. I uh, I knew that there had to be more to how caverns, you know, as you as you walk through it and you see uh, potential for other places uh, in the cave to go beyond the the tourist route. And uh, well, where there's one cave, there have to be others. And uh, you know, I was introduced to uh, the other caves, you know, through through my network of friends. And you would you did this to raise the money that uh, let you go to uh, enable you to go to college, correct? 
right, right, worked there uh, all through well, the latter part. As soon as I turned 16, I was working at Hauke Arbus, and, uh, and then even a year after I graduated, I graduated in 76 from Syracuse University, and uh, even a year after that, while well, I was still looking for work. Nice. Great summer job. I'm, you know, one of thousands of local kids who have, who have, uh, have worked there, and I maintain that any one of us could step in the elevator and, and give a tour without thinking much about it. And you've written two previous books on uh, this topic of uh, cave country in upstate New York, uh, The Remarkable How Cavern Story in 1990 and Unearthing How's Cave, A Community and a Quarry from 1842 on. That book came out in 2005. What's what's new about the new book, Underground Empires? Well, the uh, it, it covers a great deal more territory. I'm surprised. Uh, first of all, how much is, has uh, changed there over the last 30 years. Underground Empires includes greatly expanded versions of those first two books. And then it picks up uh, again in 1990 and uh, whatever, whatever has happened since then. You know, looking back on it, the remarkable How Cavern story unintentionally, <laughs> but it had sort of a cliffhanger ending. The um, the cave house, the old hotel, had been abandoned. The roof had been blown off by a tornado, and uh, this beautiful historic stone building was was falling apart. The uh, house cave cement quarry uh, had closed. It left about 250 people out of work, and the uh, the future of how caverns was starting to get a little murky. The number of tourists was declining uh, steadily, but uh, all of that has changed in the last 30 years. And how has it changed? The uh, quarry reopened. It is now a uh, uh, owned by Cobblesco Stone Products. They're not making cement, but they are uh, crushing stone, which is used for uh, road work and asphalt. Uh, the cave house has become a museum in the making, a group of volunteers have put it together. It's now the Cave House Museum of Mining and Geology. Uh, the roof is back on. Had the uh, the book launch there at the uh, end of August. That was quite successful. How Caverns has new owners, and they're trying some new things, uh, including the, the much-publicized uh, Naked Tour, which they have every year. <laughs> the, wait a minute, the Naked Tour? Cave tour. Have you gone on? Tour. Have you gone on that? I have not gone on that. No, and I think a lot of people would be glad to hear that. <laughs> um, but I did find a writer from Syracuse who uh, who was on the first naked tour, and he wrote a nice piece that uh, that I used in my book. Huh. That's fifty two degrees in the cave. Let me state that. <laughs> when you consider and start thinking about a naked tour through how caverns. So it sounds that in the past 30 years, in between the, the, the books, let's say, of um, you've done before, 1990, 2005, and today, uh, how's caverns, anyway, and that area has really uh, spruced up? It has, very much so, very much so. As a kid, and I mentioned this in the forward to the book, you know, I lived in Central Bridge, which is you know, about five miles by railroad track from Howe's Cave, and 
you know, friends and I would bike down the the D&H Railroad and get to Howe's Cave, and it was a mess. Uh, no one would no one would dispute that. You know, the cement industry not necessarily a, a, a the cleanest of industries, and you know, the whole community was well, it's covered with dust. Undergone a kind of a rejuvenation since then. A lot of people are happy to happy to see that. And you've been involved in it. I see in your resume that you were on the board of the newly re- reinvigorated Cave House Museum. I uh, I was on the the first board of directors. Um, I was on the board for about four years, I want to say, and then my uh, my work took me elsewhere. Um, and I uh, retired a couple of years ago, which gave me time to write underground empires. Uh, and I've started, uh, I'm not on the board, but I am again volunteering all I can to benefit mm. the cave house. A lot of work yet to be done and a great potential. How Caverns in particular has quite a story. Um, the One of the dates you celebrate or talk about is 1842. What happened then and and how? What was How Caverns back then? Well, first How Caverns was the third cave in the United States that uh, was opened as a tourist attraction, and that was in 1842, not long after it was discovered. And the uh, the story I told four times a day when I was guiding there was that uh, Lester Howe, a farmer, discovered the cave. Um, well, they say by accident, but Everyone thinks he was looking for it. And what, what tipped him off was that his uh, his dairy herd would hang around near the cave entrance because of the cool air that was, was blowing out of there on hot days. He was the first to, to really explore the cave, to go much beyond the entrance. And, uh, you know, wow, what a what a find. Uh, it's, a, it's a little over a mile of cave, and the passages through it, for the most part, are big and uh, easily walked. Uh, Yes, you get muddy. Yes, you get wet. and Yes, you had to do quite a bit of physical uh, exertion, and you climbed over rocks. But uh, it was was opened in 1842. People went through with uh, torchlight. They got wet. They got muddy, but they had a grand time. There are reports of hundreds of people going on the tour at a time. So it uh, it was it was exciting. It was profitable, and uh, uh, people enjoyed it even then. And did it thus continue up until that time when you were maybe about to go to college and you were you were working at Howe Caverns, or or was there some kind of break in the action over the years? Yeah, there there were there were a couple of things that that happened that kind of broke up the those early tours. Um, First, the railroad came through in 1869, and a couple of things happened. The railroad, as they cut through the hillside, they found that wonderful limestone that is so good for making cement. And soon after that, uh, a couple of small uh, stone and cement companies formed. The um, president of the railroad, uh, Joseph Ramsey was his name, he, uh, he wanted to buy the cave from from Leicester, and uh, he eventually succeeded. It, uh, it was not a uh, transaction that uh, Leicester was satisfied with, and it was it wasn't the 
uh, of the highest ethical standards. But um, regardless, Mr. Ramsey uh, got a hold of the cave. Um, he he replaced the hotel that uh, Lester had placed there with the uh, stone cave house, which sits there today still. And then on top of that, he built a huge, huge hotel that uh, more than tripled its size. Uh, he continued uh, tours through the cave. He made some improvements. He started... Uh, uh, he added uh, gas lighting in some portions of the cave, and, and he improved some of the trails. But he also owned one of the cement companies. And as interest in the cave started to decline, and there were a lot of reasons for that, uh, but as interest in the cave started to decline, uh, interest in making cement uh, picked up. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of different owners of the, of the quarry in 1910, uh, when tours were really discontinued at that time, uh, quarry owners uh, blasted through part of the cave, and uh, they actually destroyed about 300 feet of cave near the entrance of Lester Howe in the, the early tours. The cement business became more important than the cave to the community or to the business interests who were there. Exactly. A man by the name of John Mosner, he was a, an engineer in Syracuse, and he apparently had an interest in caves. And he, um, This is in the mid-20s, 1920s. And uh, he toured some of the caves in Virginia, and they were being lit by electricity at that time. He thought about Howe's Cave. He had been there in the, the torch days, and he thought, hmm, what could we do? Uh, and he came up with the idea to start the tour at the end of the cave. And to do that, you would need to drill a shaft and, and put in elevators. And mm-hmm. that man's name was John Mosner. And to do that, a corporation was formed. They, for half a million dollars, they reopened the cave as Howe Caverns Incorporated, uh, which did the work that uh, made it possible to see the cave the way that we see it today. And uh, the part of the cave that, that they own doesn't go all the way through to the old entrance that Lester Howe used. If you've taken the tour, you know you go about a half mile to the end of the underground lake, you can see the cave continues beyond that, uh, and the ownership of how caverns ends about there. And you turn around and you go back out the elevators. Hmm. And how caverns owned the cave up until recently, when um, uh, it, it was purchased by Wright Galasso Incorporated, and they are the people that run the cave now. So it's been a, a couple of different owners, but the cave is still mm-hmm. open, still a. Uh, Still a source of wonder, still a source of education for. Mm-hmm. The new owners were they in some kind of uh, touristy business or theme parks or something like that? No, the uh, the Glossos are the also the people that own the House Cave Quarry. Uh, oh. He partnered with uh, a Schoharie attorney who has, has since passed. That uh, was Charles Wright to uh, reopen the cave. And they they both had an interest in in the cave, uh, but not not as a, a tourist business. Mm-hmm. 
the uh, story that you you're telling your your new book is not just about how caverns i remember going to how caverns as a maybe not a little kid but as a kid or as a, as a young person going down the elevator and so forth i never went to it but when we drive to how's caverns or how caverns i'd see other signs for secret caverns what is secret caverns well secret caverns has kind of an interesting history too it's owned by the Mallory family. Roger Mallory Sr. Uh, was the contractor who did much of the work for How Caverns Incorporated. That is, he he helped build the uh, uh, the way the walks are laid out, the hand railings. He probably had a good deal of help with the uh, uh, the electricity, um, putting electricity in the cave. Uh, and the story goes that he was. He did not get the contract for the elevator, which uh, was uh, a big contract in 1928. Uh, and so he said, well, I'm going to go open my own cave. And he drove up the uh, road about, uh, well, about two miles. And he opened what was then called Nameless Caverns. And he opened it as Secret Caverns. Also in 1929, only a couple months after How Caverns had its grand opening, they continue. The Mallory family continues to, to run the cave today. Now in the third generation of the Mallory family. And so it was similar to How uh, Caverns. And uh, I remember it. I probably maybe shouldn't say this, but I remember driving down there and my family, my sister and I are in the car as my parents are taking us to see to how caverns and it always seemed that the secret cavern signs look more homemade the how cavern signs were professional well, they were that... there's always been kind of a you know a competition between the two secret caverns is a younger cave it is not as the rooms are not as large but it is uh, it is an extensive cave and that there are a lot of branches so to speak that even lead to other caves and the, um, you know, water finds its way downhill uh, through through the cave country. And um, it is probably longer than Howe Caverns. Uh, whether you could get through that entire length is, is, is questionable. But uh, the water actually uh, flows down into the Howe's Cave quarry and under the old uh, entrance to Howe's Cave. About that. So in a sense, the two caves are connected that way, but uh, not not physically. They're two two separate cave systems. Now, in one of your books, and I've, in one way or another, in my media career, I remember interviewing you about the books. And oh, I know. And I was writing a col- or I write a column uh, for the Daily Gazette, which now appears also in the Recorder, about uh, area history. And we we did a piece, or I did a piece in the column based on your work uh, in the cave country about a community called Tight Nippin. And boy, did we get into trouble. Uh, Do you recall that incident? Oh, I do. I I do. I spoke with one of the ladies that uh, had a conversation with you just on Saturday. Uh, Tight Nippin was a uh, few houses that were just on the other side of the Cobuscale Creek from the first house cave uh, cement works. And they actually built the houses 
and it took me a while to, to figure out why they would do that till I learned a little bit more about how cement is made. It wasn't that this company was overly generous to its its workers. It was that they needed uh, nearby to keep an eye on the cement kilns where they burn limestone. The burning process is at 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you don't keep the temperature correct, at the same temperature, you get a very poor product. So they needed people nearby the kilns to keep an eye on uh, the, the burning process. Uh, so the first cement company was in 1869, so the houses there, um, you know, are, were quite old. And over the years, they, uh, you know, became homes for, for the lower classes of workers, the unskilled laborers that worked at the cement quarry, and became quite a quite a notorious little uh, housing area. And I ran the name Tight Nippin through a translating service. It's German, and it's not <laughs> cannot be repeated <laughs> in polite company. So right. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and what, what we were criticized for was making it sound too... Uh, undesirable to live there where the people who lived in tight nip and said look it was a poor community but we we did what we could right right i think everybody thinks that of their childhood home the woman i spoke with on saturday who was among those telling you that was uh, she said well we were told never to go our parents all said never cross the creek and go into tight nippon an uh, interesting little bridge that went across the creek and uh, the other house cave kids said we're told don't go into tight nip so hmm. yeah it, well, it was an undesirable place well let's you know maybe kind of recap or talk about what is now with the uh, cave business if you will secret caverns is still open how caverns has new owners and the new owners also have a quarry do they still make cement or is it something else to do with the and it's the limestone they're after right right correct um they're not making cement they are uh crushed crushed stone plant and um and you use crushed stone for your driveway you know you crush it you know to a uh, finer uh, a powder not quite a powder but it's part of the asphalt mix for road work, mm-hmm. and they also sell, you know, building stone. Uh, the name, type of name, escapes me right now. Uh, but you you see it used in highway construction. I've got mm-hmm. crushed stone all over my driveway here in Hinesville. So this is an opportune time for your your new book, Underground Empires. I mean, you've told us a lot of fascinating things about what's underground. Why do you? Why did you use the phrase "underground empires"? I'm glad you asked, and I was just going to bring that up. If you didn't, "Underground Empire" uh, singular was a book from 1948, uh, written by a gentleman by the name of Clay Perry. He was a journalist in uh, uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And he was, an, he was a caver at about the time caving was start to becoming uh, a sport. And he, in fact, is the gentleman who coined the name Spelunker, 
and he was yeah, he was one of the founding members of the National Speleological Society, and they ratified their first charter uh, in Pettibone Falls, uh, Massachusetts. Regardless, Underground Empire came in 1948, and it was his book on uh, the caves of New York. And there were a couple of chapters on uh, the caves of Schoharie County. And when I was uh, working at Howe Caverns and, you know, actively exploring other caves on my days off, uh, that was a great, great source of entertainment and uh, almost a guide to mm-hmm. some of the other caves in the area. So this is an homage, underground empires, plural, uh, is really an homage to to Mr. Perry's work. Where are these other caves in New York State? There are uh, 150, about 150 caves in Schoharie County, and another 150 caves in Albany County. Clarksville has a very well-known cave uh, just off the main drag there. And then uh, one of the caves I, I talk quite a bit about in the book is Knox Cave, which is in the town of Knox, uh, Albany County. And that's part of a, uh, a preserve, a cave preserve now by the National Speleological Society. That cave was opened by another uh, former Howe Caverns employee uh, who, against, who was, again, hoping to get a, a job at Howe Caverns in 1929. He didn't get it. So he said, all right, well, I'll open my own cave. And in 1935, he opened Knox Cave. And Knox Cave, I want to say, was open until about 1960. There was a uh, a roller skating rink there. Uh, my folks remember uh, roller skating there. Uh, they lived uh, in the French's Hollow area near Altamont. And it was quite a, uh, I don't know if the cave was as popular as the roller skating rink, but it was a, it was a popular destination for a number of years. And there's a good deal about that in the, the book as well. Dana Cudmore was a newspaper reporter, a state university a public relations person, operated his own media services firms, and uh, did uh, work for federal disaster response agencies. He was on the original board of Cave House Museum, uh, now retired from that. And he's author of the book, Underground Empires, Two Centuries of Exploration, Adventure, and Enterprise in New York's Cave Country. Here's another story about caves. Roland Vineyard is from Sprakers, New York, in the Mohawk Valley. He's been a farmer, now works full-time selling farm real estate, but Vineyard is also a folk musician and uh, known nationally as a caver. My name is Roland Vineyard. I'm a resident of Mohawk Valley. And many years ago, I was a very good friend of a fellow named Pete Hauer, who was a renowned at the time speleologist who studied Saltpeter Caves. We shared many adventures in that together. And in 1975, there was a series of events that culminated in his death and the death of a, of a young man. When I learned about it, I was farming and hadn't seen Pete in a little while. This came as a shock to me, as it did to all of his very large circle of friends. And that kind of started the investigation that I've uh, undertaken. began in 1975. I picked up again in 2012, and it's been pretty much nonstop until the book was published uh, this year. Roland Vineyard's book is called The Ballad of Pete Hauer. It was caves that Pete loved the best. 
I've uh, called Roland Vineyard a uh, caver, but honestly, Roland, what does that mean? Caver in the vernacular is a spelunker, a person who explores caves either for his, the adventure that he receives there or perhaps uh, in conjunction with the science. What draws people to exploring caves? I mean, I, I must confess, I've I've many fears and phobias, and I think I I've been in how caverns, but that's about it. The uh, to me, it's the sense of adventure of going where very few people have ever gone before, uh, or sometimes nobody has ever gone before, seeing a place that nobody may never see again. Well, this can be dangerous, right? I mean, that's just part of. It can be dangerous. I've also felt that probably the most dangerous part of caving is the road trip getting there. (laughs) Okay. The Historian's Podcast episode with Roland Vineyard is number 365, dated April 9th, 2021. To find the episode, scroll down on our homepage, bobcudmore.com. This is Bob Cudmore.